The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, it was the first time in more than two decades that the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by half a percentage point. But all it took was just a little hint of dovishness from Chair Jay Powell to get the stock market roaring. He indicated it's unlikely that the Fed will increase rates by 75 basis points during this cycle, and the S&P shot up about 3%. So is that it? Is that all it took to set a bottom in the stock market? We'll talk about it this week with a Wall Street strategist. But first, Valdana, I have to ask one thing before we get started. I'm all ears. Did you have any nicknames in high school? Um, Wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop, stop. Stop. Do not reveal your high school nicknames. Why? You you don't understand why at this point of the show. A vet, the veteran podcast co-host and listener of What Goes Up, nicknames are a very valuable commodity on this podcast. I think I, uh-huh. we got about 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts when I promised to reveal my high school nickname. Oh, wow. And I, I realized we, our, our ratings and reviews have slowed down on Apple Podcasts. So I think we need to leverage your high school nickname. How long are you holding yours hostage? A, a hundred more ratings. I think I got about 70 ratings on the on Apple Podcasts. So go ahead, listeners. If you want to hear Voldana's high school nickname, you have to go and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We're not saying it has to be a five-star rating, uh, even though, you know, may, maybe that's what you want to give us. I don't know. But go rate, rate, review the show. And I think if we get 100 more, we'll, we'll reveal. This is 
This uh, you're holding the listeners hostage. No, no, no. All they have to do is go, go and, and click that five star or however many stars you want to click. I'm not saying it has to be five stars, you know, not not making any prerequisites. I have, will have no idea what they actually hit, how many stars they hit. But yeah. it's good to get the numbers going so more listeners can uh, find the show and uh, find out what you think about it, especially if you have a good a good review for us. You, you know who else we're holding hostage? Our guest this week. I realized this week. Yeah, exactly. He's probably having second thoughts about uh, about joining this about joining this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he might not even be on the Zoom call anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's still there. He he is. I want to welcome Jeremy Zirin. He's senior portfolio manager and head of private client U.S. equities at UBS Asset Management. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. And if you uh, need a nickname for me, uh, the other Jay Z works just fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good one. That's, That's a good really one. good. <laughs> all right, you'll be Jay Z the rest of the rest of this podcast. Awesome. Sure. <laughs> but but tell us, you know, what is your takeaway uh, from this Fed meeting this week? I mean, the, obviously a relief rally in the market. Uh, S and P up three percent in a matter of minutes after uh, Powell indicated that seventy basis points was most likely off the table. Also, some comments suggesting that you know a soft landing in the economy. Uh, amid rising Fed rates is not necessarily uh, unthinkable. Uh, you know, he indicated it'd be tricky, but he he does think it's possible. I mean, was it just that? Was it a re- relief rally? Do you think we'll give it all back in coming days uh, or more? Um, or, or is that really the type of thing that could help the market set a bottom after this ugly start to a year? Look, I think the markets are going to remain choppy, but I do think that the Federal Reserve being very clear that they're not contemplating far more aggressive tightening was certainly helpful in terms of thinking about the future path of monetary policy and just reducing what a lot of investors fear is a policy mistake tightening too quickly in the context of a slowing economy. I also think one of the statements that was really interesting was that, you know, Federal, you know, Chair Powell said that he will strive to avoid adding uncertainty to what is already an extraordinarily challenging and uncertain time, right? So it's not just that they didn't tighten as much or they're not contemplating tightening uh, as much as feared, but it was also they want to be predictable. They want to be very clear on what they're doing and not surprise the market. And so to the extent that the market already has lots of things to worry about that are hard to predict, right? The war in Ukraine, COVID outbreaks in China, uh, how just, you know, will we see peak inflation in the first half of this year? You know, the Federal Reserve is trying to reduce one of those uncertainties. Jeremy, can you talk about the idea of, uh, I, I mean, wouldn't Powell sort of want the idea of a 75 basis point hike, at least like floating out there as this sort of fear because it helps uh, tighten financial conditions. Whereas if we have stocks and other risky assets rallying, financial conditions are are, are going to, to ease or, or loosen. So uh, can you talk about why he felt the need uh, to, to quash the idea of a 75 basis point hike? Yeah, look, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think that financial conditions have tightened. Right. We've seen a dramatic increase in the two year, the 10 year and real interest rates that have gone from deeply negative territory just three months ago to positive territory for the first time since before the pandemic. And so you know, I think the Fed has a, a tricky balancing act to, to handle. I mean, we certainly uh, have seen some of the growth indicators soften 
uh, during the first week of this month with the ISM, both manufacturing and non-manufacturing index, you know, coming off the boil. And so I think this was just a matter of, you know, the Fed saying, look, financial conditions are tightening. We have our high on the ball in terms of trying to uh, balance our dual mandate and that, you know, given you know, market positioning, which was horrendous, right, over the last month with, you know, the S&P dropping uh, nearly 10% last month. Um, this was just hit, uh, the, Powell's attempt to, to try to balance and square that equation. You know, Jeremy, you mentioned that you think markets will remain choppy. Uh, some of the outlook notes you, you sent over to us, uh, you indicated that you think the S&P will probably be in a trading range over the next few months. Um as investors wrestle with all these cross currents, uh, how do you play that as a, a portfolio manager, as a strategist? I mean, is it just kind of hold what you have and, and you know wait for this this phase to be over, or is there you know it, does it make sense to try to play that range at all, or is that just too risky? I think it's hard to sort of so-called play the range in terms of the very short term, just because of the unpredictability of what's happening in some of the risk factors that we talked about. Um, generally, you know, we invest for the long term. So we own great companies that generate great cash flows in normalized environments. And so we don't worry too much about, you know, thinking about, you know, where in the range of a tactical positioning we are. Although when opportunities arise, I think that you do want to tilt portfolios to take advantage of some areas that could be attractive. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, we think and we've been positioned more towards the value segments of the market over the past several months, uh, believing that we are in a tightening cycle, we are in a rising rate environment, and with elevated valuations in some of the secular growth areas of the market, that you know, value reopening plays uh, are you know the most interesting and offer the best reward in the market. So when segments within those categories sell off because of you know near-term concerns, uh, we, we get more interested in, in, and tend to back those positions. But would you mind if I just follow up on that and ask, you know, uh, what looks like a good value in the market? You know, what are the, what are the value pockets of the market that, that look attractive at the moment? Um, so I think there's a couple ways to look at it, right? I mean, if you look at it by, you know, sort of sector and industry, I think it is your classic value-oriented sectors. So that would be energy, financials, you know, pockets of the consumer discretionary sector, um, where you do see, you know, just low valuations and just fears that the earnings will not be resilient enough and that they are, you know, potentially value traps. And so, you know, you look at energy, energy right now trading at free cash flow yields over 10%, you know, four percentage points above any other sector in the market. So there's clear fear that, you know, the oil prices will, you know, normalize or go, you know, be lower over the next, you know, 6, 12, 24 months. And just given, you know, how tight oil markets are, limited supply, just the underinvestment in the sector for the past five to six years, it does look like there's, you know, even though the sector has done phenomenally well, over the last you know twelve to fifteen months or so, I think that there is more upside, and markets are still you know cautious on the long term outlook. I think financials also look attractive here in in certain areas. Um, you know, if what's been interesting is that you know the financials have traded sort of in line with the ten year treasury up until about two months ago, and that's been a there's there's been a pretty big disconnect between the performance of financials and interest rates, uh, meaning that financials haven't kept up. 
with the face of interest rates. And I think a lot of this is on fears of a hard landing and fears that you know credit is going to be a problem. And that if we do have uh, an extension of the economic cycle and the Fed is able to orchestrate uh, a soft or softish landing, then you know financials should perform very well in this type of environment. And then also, I think you like a lot of the reopening plays that are tied to the travel industry, the hotel, leisure, that type of stuff. If you could talk about that. I know we had some really good earnings from the likes of Airbnb earlier. And in, in, I think it was earlier this week. This week feels really long. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but you, but you like some of those, right? I do, right? Like, so if you think about across, you know, across sectors where there's good value, I would say it's in, you know, com- industries where their earnings were impaired because of COVID and their catch up trades because the market is skeptical that the earnings can reach more, you know, pre COVID levels anytime in the next couple of years. And so if you look at some of the, you know, travel um, levered stocks. I mean, just bookings last night, but up. Yeah, you know, said that you know room night growth was thirty percent higher than two thousand nineteen levels, and so there is significant pent up demand for travel for service oriented industries, and largely, you know, I think what investors are really wrestling with is that we've had this you know pull forward of demand in segments of. The economy and you know technology and many goods producing industries and we've had you know and that was largely just because consumers had cash and they needed were going to spend it but they couldn't spend it on service oriented industries because of health concerns or just restrictions and so now I think we're seeing that reverse and it's not a straight line because we don't have you know uh, we still have COVID uh, to deal with not as much as we did but we still are dealing with some some of the effects of COVID uh, less so in the United States but you know still seeing the effects. In, in other parts of the world, especially in, in Asia. Um, but I do think that for patient capital, that the best risk rewards in the market are really on those you know, areas that have seen um, you know, dis- you know, disruption from COVID that, you know, I don't know if it's going to be in three to six months, but in two to five years are likely to have sort of more normal earnings levels and back to trend earnings levels that they saw before COVID. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dynamic that pent up sort of bottleneck and demand that you mentioned, you know, the the flip side of the coin of that is just, you know, consumers having this extraordinary amount of savings that, you know, the likes of which we really never saw in, in modern times before the pandemic. Um, so to me, it seems like that at corporations too. you know, the corporations balance sheets are, are so strong uh, coming out of the pandemic. Um that it seems like you know the inflationary environment um, is not as sort of a head as big of a headwind as it would be otherwise if you know if the savings rate had not sort of ballooned the way it did uh, during the pandemic. How long do you think that lasts, though? How long can that consumer sort of draw down those savings um, before we sort of normalize back to uh, you know pre-pandemic levels of of demand? Is is it you know, something that could happen quickly or, or is it something that could last perhaps as long as the pandemic lasted? Is, is there any sense uh, from your end of of how long we can count on that cons- consumer to have uh, the spending power that they do? Yeah, I think the market is 
overestimating just the the probability of the consumer retrenching. I think it is because of what, as you mentioned, there is a good amount of pent up savings. But more importantly, what the the highest correlation to consumer spending is simply jobs, right? If if a cons- if you have a job, you're going to spend. Uh, if your wages are going up, you're going to spend a little bit more. If you have excess savings, you're going to spend a little bit more. But the main the main focal point for any analysis of the outlook for consumer spending is employment. And right now, labor demand is by far outstripping labor supply. We still have labor force participation rates at well below pre-pandemic levels because a lot of people uh, were fearful of entering the labor market because of COVID or couldn't because of childcare concerns. And so if we get, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the consumer can stay resilient and it's not a matter of working off savings, in my view. It's a matter of whether they stay employed. And I think that, you know, even with Fed tightening, we're not anywhere close to seeing a retrenchment in corporate hiring. And so, like, I understand the bearish argument that the Fed is tightening and that, you know, the yield curve inverted and that has been a precursor to recession. But it seems like in this environment, the buffer is that consumer and corporate balance sheets are in very good shape. We still have very healthy demand for labor that isn't that is far out of balance and that you know the spend, you know because consumer spending can remain far more resilient for a longer period of time because you know we don't this isn't a normal economic cycle. We didn't see you know a housing boom and bust like we did in 2006 or 2007. We're not seeing a corporate spending boom and bust in you know, in technology like we did in the late 90s. Fundamentals are generally pretty good going into this uh, health crisis and, and pandemic. So I think that you know the, the outlook for for uh, and the probability of a softer landing and longer expansion is, is fairly high and probably higher than market perception. I was just about to ask you what your view is on whether or not the Fed can avoid a hard landing or this uh, if we can have this softish landing is how I think Powell described it this week. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that because of what I just mentioned, and just because of the strength of the consumer and, and and corporate balance sheets, and still generally healthy labor markets, you know, there's a good chance. I mean, that's that's essentially what Powell said that there's a good chance. We don't know, right? I mean, there's a lot of risk factors that you know could lead to a you know moderate downturn. Um, I don't think that if we do see a recession, it would be your normal. You know, typical. You know, markets go down thirty percent. It takes a couple of years to get back to you know back to trend uh, levels of economic activity. It'll probably be a little bit you know more shallow, um, given some of the the str- strong economic momentum that's already you know in the in the U.S. economy. But I think that there's a a, a good chance that we you know in our base case. You know, the economy slows, it doesn't roll over, you know, even with the outlined and very clearly defined, you know, hiking path from the Fed, you know, we're only going to go to sort of neutral territory in terms of Fed policy over the next several months. And, you know, in my view, there's a reasonably good chance that the Fed can pause there at once they reach you know levels of around two two and a half percent on the Fed funds rate, and because I think that inflation is likely peaking right about now or in the next couple of months, and that we'll see lower levels of inflation over the course of the second half of the year, and that'll give the Fed an opportunity to 
you know, uh, to, to ease off in terms of its hiking, increasing the probability of a softer landing. Uh, you know, Chair, uh, you mentioned in uh, one of your notes to us that uh, you like high quality companies with pricing power. I've been kind of surprised um, at it, it seems like so many companies have that pricing power right now. Uh, this week, um, we saw AT&T and Verizon, you know, either announcing or, or planning to announce uh, increases in, in mobile uh, subscription rates, which perhaps that's kind of a no brainer. A, a cell phone company is going to be able to you know, raise prices arguably more than sort of a, a discretionary um, uh, consumer company. Where, where would you expect uh, the pockets of the market to be where the pricing power is not robust? Is it as simple as sort of, you know, frivolous con- consumer discretionary type of products or is it more complicated than that? No, I think that like in general, you know, you would see it in sort of some of the names that are you are really sort of like discounters, right? And where you don't have where you're already working on very low margins. And so I do think that, you know, in pockets of consumer discretionary um, or very competitive environments and very competitive industries, you're likely to see, you know, less pricing power than and see some further margin erosion. Than, than other you know other other sectors. Yeah, but broadly, it seems like most companies are 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 being you know have that power. They able they're able to raise prices pretty aggressively. Um, so far, is that been your your general impression? Yeah, I mean, if you look at earnings season so far, most companies have reported, and you're seeing that you know sales growth is on track to grow, be up about twelve percent for the S and P five hundred, and earnings up about ten. So. You know, in aggregate, that statement you just made is true. I do think, though, that we are in a period where, as you mentioned, right, the consumer still has a good amount of savings to spend and, you know, labor markets are strong. So we have good economic momentum. What will be more interesting to see is how companies have, you know, how the pricing power holds up as the economy starts to slow and the consumer you know, uh, starts to get a little bit more stretched. And so there, I think, you know, what we try to do in our, you know, analysis is really look at, you know, do the companies have a moat? Are they in industries that have a oligopolistic nature to them where they don't have, where they generally have, you know, rational pricing across the industry? And, you know, are they able to, do they have enough brand equity where they can raise prices to, to continue to offset some of the costs? Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th. 
a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You mentioned the earnings season, and I actually wanted to ask you why you feel the market hasn't held up better or didn't hold up better during the earnings season when we did have all of these reports that were largely very good and whether or not you think that's largely tied to you know the the macro narratives just being so much more overwhelming than anything we've heard from uh, from companies yeah i would say one it was the rate backdrop was the primary driver uh you know if you look at what didn't work in the stock market the last few weeks it's been you know the secular growth names that sold off a lot more than you know value encyclicals and so you know that it was directly tied to the rise in you know nominal and real interest rates i think more so than than earnings i would also note that you know while earnings were reasonably good in the quarter the level of beats this quarter was well below the outsized beats that we saw over the last several quarters now it doesn't make me overly concerned because the level of beats this quarter is actually pretty normal in line with historical averages. It was just that the companies were beating by such a wide margin uh, in the last few quarters that I think you know investors sort of have muscle memory and said, well, you know, things are beats are slowing, the aggregate level of growth is slowing, the Fed's raising rates, and you know, putting all of that into the into the equation to say, you know, this might not be as good in, uh, a time to be investing in equities. I also think you also just last point I'll make is you, you had some pretty high profile margin misses you know with some um, technology companies or you know pull forward demand companies like you know Netflix um or an Amazon and so uh, from the, from that perspective you know there was i think just concern about okay you know while in aggregate companies are handling uh are able to pass along pricing um and are seeing reasonably resilient 
and market demand, uh, it's not uniform. And so it's not and with fewer, fewer company, you know, with the breadth of companies beating and the level of company beats uh, decelerating. I think that just added to, you know, the rate rise and some of the angst in markets. Yeah, it's a great point uh, about sort of that recency bias. You know, it, it's easy for the market to get used to 80, 90 percent of companies beating and, and you know, a, a reversion back. Yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I, Jeremy, I'm wondering what you see as what are the risks that sort of keep you up at night? You know, I'm looking at the news today. It's Thursday. Uh, leaders in China are re- reiterating the whole notion of uh, the zero COVID policy. Um, they're not backing down from that. There's a lot of concern about this uh, Russian holiday coming up on on May 9th that Russia will really use that as an excuse to get very aggressive in this war and, and maybe you know some some real dangerous rhetoric coming out from them is it are they the two main risks you think china uh lockdowns in russia is is that really what keeps everyone up at night right now or is there anything we're missing i think from you know a very tactical perspective about what's going to drive markets in the next week or two um you know the you know what's happening in with the war in ukraine and the asian you know chinese uh, cities lockdowns are, are are front and center i would say looking out uh, a little bit further and not even a lot further tactically but just over the next several months i would say it's going to be the inflation data that drives markets if if we see inflation continuing to stay at very elevated levels and not seeing some of the, the declines that you know, we're hoping to see, um, then I think that you're going to start to see expectations for the Fed tightening to be even more aggressive. And that's going to put more pressure on markets. Uh, and I think the timing on the inflation data is difficult to, to assess, but we are seeing some signs that inflation is in fact peaking. And so uh, I, I mentioned that, you know, I think we're going to be in a trading range, but I think we're probably closer to the bottom of that trading range in the near term than than the top. And it's because of the fact that you know you have seen used car prices come off the boil, right? You have seen sort of a stall in some of the commodity price increases, and uh, encouragingly, from a from a, a wages perspective, you you are seeing labor force participation start to improve, and without further you know meaningful outbreaks of COVID that would restrict mobility. Uh, in in you know domestically, I do think you'll see labor supply improve over time, and just the combination of Fed tightening and slowing the economy a little bit from the demand perspective, and increased supply of labor should allow for you know wage growth at a minimum to stop going up and likely to to plateau and start trending a little bit lower over the next couple of uh, quarters, in more likely the next couple of years. You know, Jeremy, we often hear about this idea that stocks can be a really good inflation hedge because of what we were just talking about, companies passing on costs. But uh, we had this story earlier this week that said adjusted for inflation, the S&P 500 is down in value at an annualized rate of roughly 40%, worse than any full year since 1974. So so what do you make of the idea that stocks are a good inflation hedge? 
Yeah, I think the down 40% is just a a, a, a poor way to frame a statistic uh, that uh, that that shouldn't that is misguided, right? I mean, in the long run, you know, stocks are a very good inflation hedge because they appreciate at a level that is much higher than inflation. And to the point we were making before stocks do have pricing power you know many companies do have pricing power and are able to offset those costs i mean we've seen very clearly that bonds are a terrible inflation hedge and their prices have gone down dramatically as well you know inflation has risen i think one of the more underappreciated areas of you know the equity market for long term investors looking for inflation protection are just your stable lower risk dividend growth stocks right i mean if you think about uh, you know the the return you're getting from a company that has a two two and a half percent dividend yield today, moderate PEs, but grow earnings and dividends in the mid to high single digits year after year. Um, you know we're all freaking out that inflation is eight percent now on the CPI and six percent on the the, core, the PCE uh, uh, indicators. Um, but you know there are many companies in the S and P five hundred that. You know, historically, have delivered dividend growth of eight to ten percent every year, right? And so, if you're worried about you know inflation being stickier at a mid-single digit rate over the next you know three, five, ten years, and what that does to your purchasing power, buy dividend growth stocks, right? You know, buy 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 you know more stable dividend growth stocks in consumer staples, in healthcare that consistently grow their dividends 5 to 10% a year, and you'll have that offset uh, relative to high levels of inflation. The, the aristocrats, as they say, the, the dividend aristocrats. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. Jeremy, I wonder, you know, you mentioned the notion of inflation being sticky. I do think, you know, I, I agree and everyone seems to agree that it, it, there are plenty of signs that inflation is peaked. But I wonder what happens if we get it sort of plateauing out, say, later in the year, in the, in the summer and into the second half of the year. If, you know, I don't know, uh, CPIs are what, eight and a half, if it sort of sticks at, you know, in the fives and if PCE sort of sticks in the fours or the fives, is that ultimately um a dangerous situation for equities if you know we get to the point where we say well it's peaked but it's still not come normalizing back to two percent um you know is that sort of a a a danger point for equities do you think i mean certainly if we see more structural drivers of higher inflation take hold like if wage growth continues to stay at a very high level and isn't trending in a more, you know, uh, in a trending lower, uh, I think that is going to lead to a lot more concerns that the Federal Reserve is going to have to hike interest rates a lot faster. Um, I tend to think of, of inflation and the inflation problems that we're having right now, you know, in, in three buckets. I mean, you have this commodity price inflation, which is, you know, very clear and it's a high frequency purchase. So it gets a lot of you know airtime, um, but look, I mean, commodity prices went from you know oil prices, for example, went from sixty dollars a barrel a year ago to you know over a hundred dollars a barrel today. Uh, you know, you're going to see a deceleration in headline inflation unless commodity prices go to one hundred and oil prices go to one hundred and sixty or one hundred and seventy, right? And so, just from a year-on-year change basis, because that's how we measure inflation, you know, the commodity complex should start to show deceleration of inflation over the next several months and, and quarters. I mean, in terms of, you know, the second bucket is goods, right? Like we've just seen a huge amount of goods price inflation, not service price inflation, because demand for goods was so high during the pandemic. And now that we're seeing, as we talked about, like really strong demand for travels, a shift in spending from goods to services, demands for goods is, is declining. Um, the, the, the sticky point there is that 
we are still seeing manufacturing centers and supply chain bottlenecks because of COVID-related issues uh, in in zero policy uh, zero COVID policies in, in in China, and so the timing is tricky. But I still think that you know markets are forward-looking, and you know the, if you think that the primary driver of the inflation that we're seeing is mostly COVID-related. Right, because you know the commodity shock, the goods inflation, and labor and wages. Then, if we do see relief from COVID and uh, limited mobility restrictions and uh, more uniform global trends of COVID uh, improving, then I think that the outlook for broader-based inflation, uh, both domestically and globally, will be you know structurally lower. And that people will have a lot more comfort that even if it transit from a transitory perspective, it but falls from eight to five and stays there for a little bit. If it's because of COVID trends that are sticking, that are you know that are that are stickier or problematic or cropping up, then I think that you know uh, investors will not be thrilled about it, but they'll look past it. If it's really structural that we're seeing signs of a wage price spiral and that there's just a lot more bargaining power for for labor and we don't get the increase in labor force participation, then I think it's a much more problematic for equities because then I think you're going to have to see a more aggressive Fed. It, it sounds like you're you're kind of expecting the former rather than the latter though, I guess. I am with a lot of concern that <laughs> the timing could be, you know, it might not be the next couple of months. It could be the next couple of quarters. It might not be the next couple of quarters. It could be the next couple of years, right? So the, I think the timing is the trickiest part, which makes me, you know, more cautious and on, on the overall outlook, is particularly in the near term, because I think that at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, we've all been underestimating the duration of COVID uh you know um related dis- disruptions and so because of you know just out of that out of, out of that hubris uh, <laughs> i would say that i think we'd all need to the to be to be a little bit humble diversify your portfolios not take huge tilts based on a single core view but not get overly negative as well and jeremy just to round things out i know we were talking about whether or not uh, we could potentially be bottoming right now. And I wanted to ask you what sorts of signals you look for. I know a lot of people turn to technicals, others look at sentiment. So what are you looking for to see signs that we potentially could be forming a bottom? Look, I think that, you know, sentiment certainly got very extreme. If you look at the, you know, AAII bullish bearish indicators, um, historically, when you reach the level of bearishness that we reached last month, that forward returns are generally, you know, well above average. So that's a, a decent signal. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I really think it's, you know, as we talked about, it's going to be the, you know, the outlook for inflation. And so I think the next couple of months indications of CPI, PPI, uh, core PCE price index inflation is going to be critical in terms of just the, the short-term movements of markets. Uh, if the market thinks that inflation is stickier and the Fed is still well behind the curve, um, there's likely still you know, more downside. And the reason I think that, you know, we've seen as sort of like as much downside as we've had already this year is because, you know, the composition of the S&P 500 over the last several years has has shifted and you have a lot more concentration in secular growth names within the index. And they're the most vulnerable to 
rising interest rates because they're long duration plays within the equity market and they're going to be more sensitive to interest rates. And so from that perspective, I think it's really, you know, inflation, inflation, inflation is what we uh, we're worried about as our as, as our top three, um, and uh, we'll we'll assess as we move along. Jay Z, great Jay-Z. stuff. Really appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, Valdada, I think it's time. It's that time. It's time. Yeah. Tell, tell the people what time it is. <laughs> it's time for the craziest thing in markets. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get started. For once, I'll get started. Go ahead. So uh, there was a news report on a ch- TV station in China um, in, let me make sure I get the city right, Hangzhou, uh, which is where Alibaba is headquarters. And this TV report said a gentleman by the name of Ma was arrested. And instantly the market assumed it was Jack Ma and sold off aggressively uh, shares of Alibaba. I'm sorry, detained, not arrested. I, we've had discussions about this. He was detained, not arrested. Uh, the Chinese translator and I had a discussion about this. Anyway, uh, Alibaba sold off. So to play the prices right with this one, how much do you think uh, investors getting the wrong ma uh, in the news mixed up? How much do you think that lopped off of the value of Alibaba in a matter of minutes. Take a Am guess. I going first? Am yeah, I going first? Market cap, US dollar market cap. I'm going to go with 25 billion. All right, I'm going to keep a poker face. Jeremy, how much do you think the wrong ma cost Alibaba in a in a few short minutes? I'm going to take the over if we're playing price rice style. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's we why are. he's that's the rule. That's why he's a strategist. He knows <laughs> So, so you're, you'll take 25 billion and one dollars. I, I t- <laughs> exactly. That's good. The over was good. It was 26 billion. 26 billion. Look how that close a, I was, though. You that were was pretty an amazing guest by Voldana. I'm, yeah. I, I think I, you read the story. Did you read the story? I did, but it, but it, the story came out on like Monday or something, which honestly feels like it was three years ago. <laughs> 25, 26 billion vaporized in a matter of minutes, but it, but it all came back. So, um, I don't know. There's a lesson there somewhere of, of make sure you got your uh, your Maz straight before you sell. I don't know. Uh, qu- quite a remarkable story, though. How about you, mm-hmm. Voldana? What's what's the craziest thing you saw this week? Uh, hat tip to Matt Levine, who wrote about this. But there's this amazing story in the Wall Street Journal about NFTs and how sales and interest has has totally been dropping off recently. And so there's this one tidbit that really, really struck me. And the story says an NFT of the first tweet from Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey sold in March of last year for 2.9 million to Sina Estavi, who's a chief executive at a blockchain company in Malaysia. Earlier this year, he put the NFT up for auction and he didn't get any bids above $14,000. Wow. Wow. So remember, he paid two point nine million for it. Wow, the, you know, and some people might find it crazy that someone's willing to pay fourteen thousand for for this thing. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Although I see the 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 um the crypto punks and the board apes, they're still selling. I think those are. I guess they're your blue chip NFTs right there. They seem to still be selling for six figures. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. They are the. Uh, the the Apple and the Amazon of the NFT world, I suppose. Well, not Amazon so much anymore. But anyway, Jeremy, you see anything crazy this week? 
Well, it's, a, it's the end of the second week of earnings season, the busiest week of earnings season. So my my brain is mush <laughs> by, by the end of the week. And so I, I'm going to pass on the crazy things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the craziest I thing I've seen probably the last week is the the, the Mets throwing a, a five pitcher no hitter with uh, taking out a pitcher after five innings and eighty pitches. <laughs> oh yeah. As as a Phillies fan, I uh, I uh, that one hurt. That one hurt. I just went to that game, actually. Yeah, that was a we had a group outing of Bloomberg to that game. I'm glad I missed it, though. Five yeah, pitcher. Totally I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are glad you missed it. <laughs> a five pitcher no hitter. I wonder if that. I wonder what the most pitchers ever used in a no hitter is. That's got to be getting close to it. That's pretty. I'll have to look that one up. A, a five and that counts. A five pitcher no hitter. We'll allow that. That's a that's probably the craziest thing I saw this week too. Anyway, Jay-Z, great to get your perspective on markets. Really appreciate your time and uh, hope we can uh, bring you back someday. Great. Happy to do it. Thanks so much for joining us. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Anonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at cuttereconomicforum.com.